Hey, good morning, guys. We've got a great episode today. We've got Robert here from uh, Bay City's Metal Products. He is the CEO and president of the company. Robert, thank you so much for taking the time. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and about Bay Cities? Yeah, so Bay Cities Metal Products has been in business since 1958, and we primarily manufacture metal products for roofing and other construction uh, areas. So some corner bead would be the non-roofing stuff that we do, but mostly it's roofing, dormers, uh, edge metal, uh, flashings, that sort of thing. Um, company's been, like I said, around since 1958. I, I've been here for 18 months now, and I was hired to kind of modernize the business and to set in kind of a management team in place that had been absent for a number of years. The owner's 99 years old, and he obviously hasn't been as active as he was at the beginning of the company. So uh, the company was kind of on autopilot for many years, which is, uh, I think, a testament to the company itself and its its brand that it was able to run with little or no management and oversight for a number of years. Um, so we came in. That's a very interesting a model when people can get to that uh, kind of cruise control on a company. Yeah, uh, especially with no debt and it was profitable. And, you know, on the that's the good side. On the bad side, there was no metrics in place, no management, no procedures, no operations. So as the world moves forward, if, if you don't have strong structural in your in your management system, people will start to, to take little bites out of your market share and you won't have the ability to notice where it's coming from or what's driving it. So I've been having a lot of fun putting in metrics in place, developing operational goals and, and teams and figuring out how to move us forward and we're expanding geographically and sales have been up. Uh, COVID has obviously changed some of our lofty goals for the year, but uh, we're still pretty, pretty active and pretty happy with where things are. Fantastic. So you've got a fantastic background as well. So why don't we dig into that? So starting maybe with uh, the Douglas Steel and moving forward from there. Can you tell us a little bit about your background, your journey, some ups and some downs along the way? Yeah, I, I think um, I'm going to go one step further back because I was in the military for eight years and, and that, that, that kind of shaped my core management style. Um, and, and again, I was on a submarine, so it's not your typical military unit. It was a little more lax as far as um, wasn't a structure to some of the other military units might be. And so we had more fun being trapped in a tube with everybody and, and how we managed. So when I came out of the military, um, the first job I got was as a shipping and receiving clerk in a, a steel service center. And, and that kind of allowed me to understand the difference of from military management to civilian management and where the, the two kind of overlap and where they don't work together. And then throughout the my history at Douglas Steel, I was able to move up through uh, the operations side mainly, uh, operations manager to VP of operations to COO, and then eventually to CFO and CEO. So I've kind of run the gamut and I, I think that allowed me to understand the, the functions of the company really well. So when you're on the operations side and somebody comes up and says, hey, a piece of equipment isn't operating properly, I understand the piece of equipment well. When I was in the Navy, I used to troubleshoot those pieces of equipment. So it's given me a much better understanding fundamentally of that. I think that's that's a really good point to touch on because I don't think many people get that um, wide range of knowledge in those different C-suite roles. They normally come up through one of those channels and then eventually get to CEO level. But to have all three is, uh, I've not come across many people like that. So what kind of spurred you to to learn those multi-disciplines 
in order to, to be more well-rounded? It, it was a combination, I, I think, of a, a power vacuum at the time in the company that nobody was stepping up to those roles. And the confidence I had myself from the military to ask questions. And, and I, I was just talking to somebody about this the other day where you, you don't feel comfortable because you don't have an MBA. You don't have all these fancy titles after your name. There's no PhD and you're in a room with super smart people. A lot of times the questions you have are valid and they're good questions and people feel hesitant to ask them because they don't think that they can participate. Being in, in, the, in the nuclear program in the Navy developed the sense that I can ask these questions. And, and, and the way that the Naval program was set up is you were, to, it was almost demanded of you to ask those questions. So I was used to asking very senior persons, uh, outside contractors from like Northrop Grumman and GE and Westinghouse. You had to ask them these questions and you knew they were super smart guys engineers, PhDs who designed these systems. But if you didn't understand it, you had to ask the question. So sitting in a meeting with a bank or sitting in a meeting with a bunch of attorneys, you just ask the question. And the more questions you ask that are relevant and have meaning and you understand what it is, the more confidence you have to go forward. And then the rest of it, you're just doing yourself. If you don't know what a debt to earnings ratio is and you're talking about it, you Google it and find out what it is. And now you have that in your knowledge base and move forward. Sounds so like, I, I think the short answer to that is just having courage in yourself to being able to ask the right questions. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a good, it's a good, uh, it's a good point, right? The, but I think the step before that is that the Navy built you up in a way that it gave you more confidence in order to believe in yourself as well by the sounds of it. That's, that's hundred percent correct. Yeah. Great. Okay. So then coming out of the Navy and then going into the real working world, how was that adjustment for you? The first six months was hard. Um, in the military, you tell somebody to do something and it's done unless they tell you it's not done. And the consequences are pretty severe for not finishing your, your job. Um, in the civilian world, and, and especially when you're dealing in a manufacturing environment, there's a lot of lower paid individuals. They're not skilled necessarily. They're not as motivated as you might be in other areas. And so you have to check up and follow through with what was done in different ways. And so I, I find myself making a lot of checklists, making sure that when I gave a verbal order, I wrote it down somewhere so I could go back and verify that it was done. Otherwise you forget. And so again, it's using the military chain of command ideas and, and the monitoring of what we had done, but you're having to do it in a civilian way that you're not standing over someone's shoulder watching what they're doing, but at the same time you're monitoring their aspect of their work. So again, metrics is, is a really useful tool to track and you just have to be a little bit different. Got it. Okay. So then, uh, you were at Douglas Steel for, for quite a few years. In terms of the growth of that company, how did you use some of the leadership skills that you learned in the Navy in civilian world to then progress through the company? I, you know, the, the submarine's a, a unique environment. You know, everything you do there affects everybody else. And in business, I think a lot of times we forget that when you're sitting in an office and you make a decision, you don't realize how it affects the, the guys working on the shop floor. And that's was always a con, it's always been a concern of mine, it still is today, is that we're a team and while the, the guy out there pushing a broom clean in the warehouse can't do what I do, I probably can't go and do what he does as well as he does. And without him cleaning everything and making everything better, the company's going to fail. You're gonna have more accidents, you're gonna have more downtime on your equipment. So we all have an integral part to it and they have just as much 
I, I wouldn't say insight, but but you have to consider what you're doing to them and how your decisions affect everybody. So, so for instance, if you cut healthcare or you reduce the cost or you change a healthcare plan, maybe it moves the deductibles around. And how does that affect the workers? You may see a $300,000, $400,000 bump on your net profit, which is great for me and everybody pats me on the back. But if my workers can't live that way and it negatively affects them, then I've created hate and discontent with the guys that I need to be the most engaged in what we do. So ensuring that the decisions we make affect the whole plant is what I, I learned in the military is that when we made a decision it affected everybody on the submarine. And while we didn't get a say in the submarine, I sure would have liked one. <laughs> um, and, and this way we're, we all work kind of as a team together. We all know that we have our jobs to do and we, we, we do it in a way that we can all gain or lose together. I think, I think that's uh, it's a lot of teamwork and it's a lot of, you're only as strong as the weakest link and you're all in it together. It's kind of the messages that I'm picking up here. Yeah, it sounds like a motivational poster, but that's the reality of what it is. When, when people feel they're listened to, they feel engaged. And when they feel engaged, their work product goes up. And whether it's uh, the number of widgets they're making a day or the quality of the part they're making, uh, their, their accuracy or their deliveries that they're making, all those things I can't manage on a day-to-day -day basis. They have to do those on their own. Yeah, it's just we're all human beings at the end of the day and treating each other like that, right? Yep. Great. So then you left Douglas Steel and then went to work as a CFO um, after being the CEO and the president for a number of years. How, how, did, how was that transition? That, that was more of a consulting role. So it was fun. It was different. It was in different industries. And it was more um, realizing, and I think that kind of gave me a, a boost of confidence also that it wasn't just metals that I was good at. It was business that I was good at and that I wasn't pigeonholed and understanding just metals. And it, it doesn't make much difference whether you're dealing in metals or cosmetics or nuclear weapons. It's all the same thing. You have a procedure, you write the procedure on what you're going to do and you just ensure you follow the procedure and you have metrics along the way checking to make sure that you're doing things correctly. So it, had, um, and again, it was Douglas Steel was more B2B uh, the cosmetics was more retail, which I didn't know a whole lot about. And the banking relationships with retail is different than it is with manufacturing. And there's different programs available and, and there's different ways of getting financing. And so it was really interesting learning about um, all those different avenues that I thought were all very similar. I thought banking was banking. And then I realized that banking is widely different depending upon each industry. Yeah. And uh, this one of the roles also had to deal with the celebrity and that was uh, an interesting take on it that I, I thought most celebrities in business were strictly in business and some of them don't have their, it's more whimsical and you're dealing with some things that you normally wouldn't have to deal with like egos and um, so it, it was really eye opening in, in a bigger sense for me. Yeah, but that's comparing that <clears throat> to a military nuclear submarine environment. I'm guessing there's night and day. Yeah, and being in the military, you become a little more blunt, and that's something that I've had to um, attenuate over the years. It's become a little less direct when I'm dealing with uh, people who don't know me that well. I think the people here who work with me day in and day out, we, I can, I can be a little more blunter, but people outside of the organization or people that I'm consulting for, you can't be quite as blunt. Um, you have to be a little more tactful. Got it. Then forward to over the last 18 months, like you said, you're now at Bay Cities. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about the company? You mentioned previously that it was kind of running on autopilot, which meant things were going really well and just ticking over. 
since you've come in, there's been a specific set of things that you've done to, to turn the company and move it into the future. Can you kind of talk about some of those systems and processes that you set up and how you went about doing that? Yeah, this is probably the most fun I've had in, uh, in, in employment my whole life. And I, and I joke around all the time that I'd probably do it for free um, because it's that much fun. The, the big things that we changed was the culture of the organization. It used to be fine to ship out the wrong product and then just change it out when you needed it. If, if the customer ordered an apple and you sent them an orange, you know, can you convince the customer to keep the orange and then strip them an apple? And, you know, that was kind of the mentality. And, and I, I kept stressing and still stress even today, even this morning, that we have to ship what the customer wants, not what we want to ship the customer. And it was eye-opening for the employees to understand that when you actually showed them and you take the price increases out that we've actually lost business the three years prior to me arriving and that they weren't doing better just because the sales was going up, you increased the price every year. You weren't selling more, you were selling less. And that was a big wake up call. They didn't understand that. And so again, the metrics drive the business, having the employees understand the metrics and where you're getting them from was an eye opener. They didn't understand that they were causing customers to leave. And then we had one, uh, we had a very large customer send a notice basically saying to stop buying from us. And when we got involved with the corporate people of that organization, they explained that we weren't responsive enough to what they were looking for. And this was about two months after I took over and they had been trying to contact the previous management team about some programs they wanted to implement. They didn't get any response. So the new sales manager that I brought on the VP of sales and I put a hard press on these guys and created a relationship. Now they're, our largest customer, we've geographically expanded to cover their all of their California operations. And they're allowing us, because we have that business, we can expand further to other customers in Northern California that we weren't selling to before I arrived. So with very little extra cost, we've expanded about 20 to 30% of our business up north. We have plans to probably increase business about 50% in that region. Might lead to some M&A activity as well. Um, and it's, it's all just being present with the customers. What does the customer want? And you're listening to what the customer says, and then you're doing what the customer wants. So if they want a different rebate program, if they want different ways of having uh, inventory available to them, if they need certain price concessions at certain times of the year because certain issues that they arise, and you're flexible and you understand what they need and you come up with a, a plan that works for both of you, that's great. And, and the other issue that Bay City's had is the finances were kind of a mess. Not that we had debt or anything of that nature, but you couldn't tell what your gross profit was. And the way that they were running the manufacturing floor, the way that they were managing their inventory, the ins and outs, it just wasn't happening. And so we needed to revamp the ERP system, hire a team of consultants to come in here and help us. We've done process mapping. Uh, we've, we've had different financial guys come in here to help us remap the GL account and set everything up and make sure that everything's done. We've done a complete audit going back three years. So now I have an actual healthy financial records that I can use the metrics on that makes sense. And we know how you're pulling the metrics and you know what those metrics are for. And that's really been a great help. So when a customer asks for a concession, I know exactly what that's going to do to the organization. Great. How can I, I think, give them the concession? Uh, I think you touched on a few points there. Let, let's dig into metrics first. You mentioned metrics kind of throughout your throughout your career and the importance of them. What are some of the key metrics and how do you go about um, reviewing them? Or is it a daily cadence, a weekly or monthly? Uh, and 
And what kind of are those key drivers for you throughout organizations, not just for Bay Cities, but generally speaking as the CEO or the leader of a company, what do you look for? Yeah, they, they should be relatively the same. I mean, activity level and how do you measure activity? Typically it's sales, but activity level, depending upon what your organization are, could be other things. It could be job started, or if you're an architect, it could be projects you're taking up. But for us, it's sales. That's the big number that we look at. So we look at daily sales, which is a look back to what you did yesterday. And then we also have an open sales log that we look at future activity to see what's happening with, with that activity level. We look at gross profit margin. That's more on a weekly basis than on a daily basis because that fluctuates a little bit. Inventory on hand, both months on hand and inventory turns. And that's for product lines and overall inventory. I look at AR and AP on a weekly basis and the ratios between the two. Cash on hand is obviously something that you, you need to, to monitor well. And then we get into more specifics like on-time delivery, uptime on, uptime on each piece of equipment in each division, uh, dollars per man hour that we're running to see where your overtime comes into play. Um, and then hopefully we don't have this yet because it's not the way the system tracks it, but pounds delivered, items delivered, we're going to start to look at some of the minutiae within that also. Some days we, we – we make small parts that are worth a lot of money and we make uh, big parts like pipe that's worth very little money. So if you have a large pipe order that goes out, um, you might have a large activity, but the sales shows up as very light because you can only put so much pipe on a truck. So how do we measure the activity? Then we all get depressed that shipping didn't do their job yesterday, but shipping might've actually done twice as much work to get half as much sales. Um, so then how do you measure that correctly and how are you looking at it? Because you using good metrics across the board interdepartmentally, not just basing it on one or two metrics that could skew the numbers. Yeah, and the last piece that we haven't accomplished yet is to create a daily dashboard that each department has a very detailed dashboard, and then it gets cycled up to a management review that is a consolidated dashboard. So I don't need to see each piece of equipment on the uptime yesterday but the ops guy has that data and then the consolidated dashboard I want will might show just an average or a departmental uh, uptime. And then if I see a problem, then we can dive into the specifics and same thing with receivables. I don't need to see everybody's receivable, but if we're starting to get old in some of the areas, I might want to, you know, if the aging is increasing, you might want to look into which customers and why. Got it. Yeah. So it's kind of the key pieces of information at your level, but then the management below you, kind of looking at that sub-ledger level and keep making sure that nothing gets too far out of hand. Right. And as long as they know that I'm going to be asking about it, it keeps that, that, that data pretty accurate. And then they understand the data and the data points that it's driving from. And that's really, when you're developing metrics, if you don't understand how the metrics are being developed, it's worthless. So if you just, somebody comes in and says, Hey, your on-time delivery rates 90%, you don't understand how that's measured. It's, it's a worthless metric in a way because you don't really understand when it goes to 92, what does that mean? Or it goes to 85, what, what does that mean? And, and developing those within a system, especially in our case where they haven't been using the ERP system really for anything except, uh, uh, well, I don't even know what they were using the ERP system for. It was really not used at all. And so now we're developing it. It, it is a really robust system we're starting to finally use everything. We're moving to scanning and barcoding for the inventory to improve our accuracy there and on-time delivery. And hopefully we'll have the website up soon where you can actually order from the website, 
So we're, we're looking forward to what does the customer expect 10 years from now? We want to do that as soon as possible. Not what does the customer want two years ago and now you're trying to catch up. Absolutely. It's all about meeting the needs of the customer and adding as much value as possible. And be the first one there. Fantastic. You don't, want to, you don't want to be reacting to your competition. You want to be ahead of your competition. Be ahead of the curve. Got it. Rob, thank you so much for sharing those golden nuggets and insights with us. How can people reach out to you? Uh, the easiest way is probably through uh, BaseCitiesMetalProducts.com. Uh, BCMet.com is the website. Um, or uh, through LinkedIn, uh, Robert Mock, M-O-E-C-K on LinkedIn. Uh, last name is kind of unique, so it's easy yeah. to find. We'll put the links just below here so people can reach out to you if they want to. Robert, thank you so much for your time. You've been fantastic. Thank you. I really enjoyed it. I appreciate it.